hello, friends, enemies, Todd from third grade. We are everything but the cats. You know that already. You're listening to us. Um, and so you know that what we do is we talk about every single thing, with the exception of one thing, that is the cats. Uh, I am DJ. And I'm Gage. And today we've got uh, a special episode for you. Um, and it's something that we are calling the baby archives. The idea is that we're recording a lot of episodes kind of all at once. Uh, that are that are kind of shorter episodes all at once is strong uh, multiple episodes at once that are shorter episodes that are just kind of fun facts about something uh, so that in April when my child comes uh, we can take a few weeks off and we've recorded episodes in advance without without having to do kind of the work of recording episodes in advance we do it why do we do it Gage because we love you because we love you and we love my child yes and we love me I don't know, between Gage and me, which one loves me more, but we love me a lot. We do love you a lot. And you, listeners. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we are everything but the cats, and, and Gage is going to tell us about something very special today. It's a, it's a heartwarming story um, of adventure and intrigue. The good guy gets the girl. It's something truly magical. Gage, what are you telling us about? Well, so actually, for starters... Uh, I just have this really funny story. Great. This past week. So, Groundhog Day just happened, right? Yeah, Bill Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray. And so, Groundhog Day just happened, and the groundhog did not see the shadow and decided to declare that spring was not going to wait longer than the six weeks of winter or whatever. Um I'm not entirely sure how it all works out, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's supposed to be. First and foremost, I think it's funny that the Groundhog only has a 39% accuracy rating since the 1880s as far as predicting winter's duration. But uh, that that aside the point, we were talking about that in the car. It was me, my mom, and my sister. And my sister was talking about Groundhog Day. And my mom was reading about a story in Kansas City, there were a couple of men who just kind of mysteriously died in someone's backyard, and nobody knew about it for three days. And so she was reading this story while Brittany and I were talking about Groundhog Day. And Brittany said, yeah, so the groundhog saw, didn't see a shadow, so spring's going to come early. And then my mom chimes in talking about this story and says... Yeah, so when the police did a toxicology report, they found multiple substances in their systems. And I'm just sitting here like, why did they do a toxicology report on the groundhog? <laughs> Man, uh, they, they dope him up so that he gets it more accurate. See, that's, that's my kind of doping. Um, but that's not what we're talking about today. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to throw a date out to you. And I want you to tell me if this date has any significance in your memory. Real quick, before we do get to the actual topic at hand. No. If I tell you the date, February 15th, 2013, does anything stick out to you about that date? Okay, so it's 2013. You and I are sophomores in high school. Um, no, no, we're not. We're juniors. Juniors, yeah. Juniors in high school. Um, is February 13th the day that you, Mark, Marcus, and me wore Christmas sweaters and walked around the hallways uh, in high school wearing our just, like, ugly Christmas sweaters, and my love for Christmas sweaters was born. Did we do that in February? Yes. 
Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we did it. It was that year. So that's that. So that's a no. I'm taking that as a no. My second guess. It's February 13th. It's the day before 15th. Valentine's Day. 15th. 15th. Day after, day after Valentine's, Valentine's day. day. I've done nothing that day. I'm sure of that. Because um, I'm sure that Karina and I were like freshly broken up. I'm going to guess, Gage, that you, that's the day after, uh, what you would consider to be technically your first kiss. And that first kiss is that you like shared a drink with a girl in the cafeteria. See, no, that's hilarious. It's actually... Now that I'm thinking, I that's the day after I got rejected uh, by Ooh. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote like a Grace? poem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so February 15th, 2013, and I'm really going to butcher some of these names. Uh, it's Fort che- Scott, Gage. Chelyabinsk mm. in the Ural District of Russia. There was an airburst that happened over a populated area. And uh, it was a meteor that apparently oh, yeah. hmm, like got into the atmosphere and then exploded before it could make contact with the actual surface of the planet. And it was believed to be about 56 to 66 feet across, had an estimated mass initially of 11,000 tons. Uh, and the explosion apparently had the energy of about 500 kilotons. So this airburst that happened over Russia caused uh, an explosion that inflicted over 1,200 injuries to people in that area. Uh, Most of those injuries were not caused by the explosion itself. They were caused from, like, broken glass because the the airburst caused a lot of glass to break and to fall. And so people had a lot of cuts and things along those lines. Um, And so that shockwave happened in our lifetime in 2013. Um. And the reason that this is kind of significant is because we're talking about a similar event, potentially, that happened over a hundred years earlier, but was estimated to be 60 times larger at minimum. True. Yeah. So today we're talking about the Tunguska event. Tunguska event. Tunguska. Tunguska. Tunguska, hardly even know ya. Um, <laughs> so, DJ, real quick, can you tell me what you know about the Tunguska event? Uh, so I know that on February 15th, 2013, uh, there was an airburst in the Ural region of Russia. And it was pretty big, um, 1,200 injuries, something like that. Uh, a lot of that from broken glass. But over 100 years before that, the Tunguska event happened. Um, and it's theorized to be at least, have been at least 60 times greater, um, just kind of in its explosive power. Um, Man, like, that's that's perfect. Thank uh, you. I, I also know <laughs> that H.P. Lovecraft had a, had a, took a real, like, real shining to it. Like, he really enjoyed, like, he just, I feel like he wrote about it a lot, or at least referenced it sometimes. Or at least the work post him references it often. Okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, we'll get into some works that reference it, but I didn't know anything about Lovecraft. So I want to go ahead and do something similar to what we did with the Orang Madan. I want to put you in the shoes of an individual, okay? I'm ready uh, for so it. This is a, so this is a—so you're a farmer, okay? You're a farmer named Sergei Semenov. Uh, it's June 30th of 1908, at roughly 7 in the morning, local time. 
and you're sitting at the Vanavara trading post in this rural locality in the Siberian taiga forests, okay? And you're just having your breakfast, enjoying the morning. Um, What's for breakfast? Uh, it's uh, it's Russia in the 1900s, so I would assume black Nothing. coffee and a cigarette. Uh, <laughs> so you're just sitting there enjoying your breakfast of nothing. And, you know, by the way, this place is less than half the size of Fort Scott today. So I can imagine it was much smaller being in the forests of Russia back then. Yeah. Now, size, you mean population? Yeah, population. So it, they, as of today, have less than 3,000 people living there, roughly. Sweet. So I would imagine it was quite a bit smaller back then. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the numbers that I did see, I think in the 90s, it was 2,000. So it's jumped significantly. Um, but, you know, 100 years earlier, even smaller. Uh, so you're you're sitting there enjoying your breakfast when something just absurd happens. Uh, you see something you can't explain. And this is how, this is how you describe it, okay? Uh, according to Leonard Kulik in his 1930 account, where he directly interviewed Sergei, he says, and, and this is translated from Russian. Uh, everything that I'm going to read is translated from Russian, so mm -hmm. a lot of it is going to have some maybe grammar issues here or there, but eh, Great. we're working with what we got. So at breakfast time, I was sitting by the house at Vanavara Trading Post, facing north. I suddenly saw that directly to the north, over on Cool's Tunguska Road, the sky split in two, and fire appeared high and wide over the forest. The split in the sky grew larger, and the entire northern side was covered with fire. At that moment, I became so hot that I couldn't bear it as if my shirt was on fire. From the northern side, where the fire was, came strong heat. I wanted to tear off my shirt and throw it down, but then the sky shut closed, and a strong thump sounded, and I was thrown a few meters back. I lost my senses for a moment, but then my wife ran out and led me into the house. After that, such noise came as if rocks were falling or cannons were fired. The earth shook, and when I was on the ground, I pressed my head down, fearing rocks would smash it. When the sky opened up, hot wind raced between the houses, like from cannons, which left traces in the ground like pathways, and it damaged some crops. Later, we saw that many of the windows were shattered, and in our barn, a part of our iron lock had been snapped. I think it's important to note, uh... Sergey was 40 miles away from where the Tunguska event happened, from where this, this heavenly occurrence was going on. He was mm. 40 miles away uh, when all of this happened to him. The sound, the heat, the, the shockwave knocking him back multiple meters, all of that. He was 40 miles away. That's crazy. So, I, yeah, go ahead. A, a quick note. I feel like Sergey, um, if, he, if he's not a Christian, uh, well, if he is a Christian— I feel like the poor guy gets to spend the rest of his life like, oh no, which which chapter of Revelation are we in? Oh heck. Like, oh dang it. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh that's probably the most famous firsthand retelling of the account. However, we're gonna get into a few others that honestly I think are a little bit more insane. Uh but we'll get there. We'll get there. So this is just his story of what happened. And there are a lot of theories as to what caused this event, and there's a lot of mystery that's still surrounding it. Uh, there is a quote-unquote conclusion that the scientific community at large kind of agrees on, 
but mm-hmm. there's there's still some pretty good debate about what actually went on with the Tunguska event. And we're going to get into some of the main theories today. Uh, but before, I do want to go over what we know for certain, or at least what the factual uh, series of events is. So on June 30th of 1908, which mm-hmm. roughly, so Russia at that time had not moved over to the Gregorian calendar. And so it was June 13th for them, or June 17th uh, for them. So in the Russian newspapers that we are going to go over later, it'll say June 17th or a little bit later instead of June 30th. But at about 7.17 a.m., Ivanki natives and Russian settlers in the hills northwest of Lake Baikal, which Uh is short for bicycle, of course, saw a bluish light uh, nearly as bright as the sun. That's they described it that this blue light was as bright as the sun, and it was moving across the sky and left a thin trail behind it. Uh, when they looked closer to the horizon, they saw a flash that was followed by a billowing cloud and a pillar of fire that caused a red glow across the surrounding area. The pillar, according to reports, split in half and then faded turning to black. Within a few minutes of this, there was a sound that was like artillery fire, and certain eyewitnesses even claimed that the source of the sound moved from the east to the north. Uh, The sounds, as they would happen, were followed by shockwaves that reportedly would knock people off their feet, they would shatter windows, and they would do uh, other types of just minor damage, even up to hundreds of kilometers away. So, the explosion itself ended up being picked up by seismic stations across all of Europe and Asia, and airwaves from the blast were felt as far away as Germany, Denmark, Croatia, the UK, and even Washington, D.C. Shoot. It's estimated that uh, certain areas that were hundreds of miles away felt the shockwaves, and it was the equivalent of a 5.0 magnitude earthquake even 100 miles away. And for a few days following, uh, there was a weird glow in the sky uh, that in Europe and Asia, people can see, even to the point where there are reports of people being able to take photographs at midnight without using a flashbulb in both Sweden and Scotland. Uh, the, The glow is theorized to be related to the interaction between the explosion itself and ice particles in the atmosphere, because it was in the Russian wilderness and there was a lot of, you know, snow and ice and the the cold atmosphere there. But that's something, again, we'll get into a little bit later. Um, In the aftermath of the explosion, uh, it was reported that a seismograph 600 miles away uh, recorded strong vibrations lasting over an hour. Uh, There were sound waves that circled the Earth multiple times, and more than 800 kilometers away, it was so loud that there was a train conductor who stopped his train thinking that it had just exploded, like a car on the train had just exploded. And there was a section in this taiga forest of 800 square miles that was flattened or destroyed. Mm -hmm. But the weird thing is there's no crater. Interesting. They found no crater. They found no object that could have caused the explosion. Uh, now, we're going to get into this in just a second, uh, yeah. because the political climate in Russia in the early 1900s 
made it very difficult to actually justify sending any kind of a team to explore yeah. in the wilderness. And so the it was due to the political turmoil, due to the remote nature of the area. It was almost 20 years before anybody actually physically researched it. Now, uh, kind of like the Uranmadang, Uranmadan, there it is. Uh, are we positive this happened? So this is one that the historical accounts, like I, I'm looking at pictures of the forests. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously it's possible that it's fake. Yeah. Because at the, with anything, there's the possibility that it's fake. But there's like significant scientific and historical documents about this event from other countries, actually. And it doesn't all come from Trieste, Italy. Great. Yeah. So <clears throat> it was... Uh, 1921 was initially when Leonard Leonid Kulik, which was the guy who initially uh, interviewed uh, Sergei, was able to start his expedition, but he was turned back because the government was like, yeah, we don't actually want you to do that right now. Um, That's us. A little bit. Uh, but then in 1927, uh, he was able to convince the government to fund an expedition uh, with the expectation that he th he thought it was a meteor. And so they funded him because they wanted him to bring back the meteor so they could use any iron that was in it. Interesting. Um, but that's nearly 20 years later before he's finally to get there. And then yeah. when he finally does go, he's able to see that the destruction, 20 years after the fact. Yeah. Um, like I say, uh, at, at the time initially, it was about uh, 800 square miles. Uh, but when he got there, he found about 21,500 square feet uh, of just pure devastation. Um, over 80 million trees had been flat flattened in a radial pattern that was over 30 miles across. Dang. So, so help me. So, Sergey is like 10 miles away from the flattened trees. Yes. Okay. So, he's like 10 miles away from the edge of the flattened zone. I think... I'm I'm not a physicist, right? I I didn't take physics in high school because that's like the one requirement. Um, I think, or I I'm just confused that Sergey survived, that he like wasn't killed. That's what survived means. Yeah. So there are a couple other accounts that we are going to go over that are even more confusing as to how they survived. Mm -hmm. Um, now it's depending on the accounts that you read. Yeah. I only found one account of a human being dying in this this explosion. Dang. Um, just because it was so sparsely populated. Yeah, I, that's fair. And a, a lot of reindeer were found dead. Uh, uh -huh. But, well, and by the time they were found, it was like, you know, basically just skeletal remains at that point. But yeah. all, um, the, all the other kids are like, Daddy, why didn't Christmas come this year? <laughs> I don't know, Dad. Son. I think I see Rudolph. Oh, wait, no. Oh, oh, it just got blasted away. It's like Team Rocket. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but here's here's another weird thing, though. So normally, with a big explosion like this, where you see, you know, a thirty mile wide circle of wait, no, 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 no. Okay, forty miles away from the blast is where Sergey was. The whole circle was 30 miles wide, so that means it's 15 miles oh, okay. from the epicenter to the edge. So he would be like 25 miles from that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. 
Okay, there we go. So, but uh, what they found, you would expect with something like this, that in the center, there would be some kind of a crater or something like that. But what they found was actually that at the center of the blast radius, the trees weren't even flattened. They were standing straight up and down still. So it's a destruction donut. It kind of. But all of their branches and leaves had been stripped. So they, they actually came over time to call this part of uh, the blast zone. They started Wait, let me guess. It. Let me guess. The naked hole. No. Because <laughs> it's like the hole of the donut and like they don't have their leaves so they're naked. Yeah, uh, that's a good guess. Uh, no, it's actually the telegraph pole forest. Oh, that's better. <laughs> a little bit. That's all um, <laughs> So that's what they find. Now, given, like I said, that is 20 years later. Uh, but that's that's what they're able to find. Now, there are a couple other things I want to go over before we really get into some of the theories related to this event. Um, so I've got, let me see, like th uh, four or five firsthand accounts, four or five other firsthand accounts that I want to go over. Um, most of them are newspaper articles. Yeah, okay, three of them are newspaper articles. One of them is from a uh a tribes person who actually lived in the wilderness so uh that's what this first account that i want to go over with real quick dj did you have something you wanted to say i did not oh okay i just affirmed so, you quietly so this first account is yeah, from the testimony <laughs> it's Let's from go. the it's from the testimony yeah. of somebody <laughs> i think chuchin or chuchin it's C-H-U-C-H-A-N. Chuchan. Chuchan. It, it, it's I, Russian. I don't know Russian. Well, and it's not even technically <laughs> Russian. It's like the... It, it's like a, a tribe of native people to Russia, like to that area. So, but Chuchan, Chuchin, uh, was a member of the, the Shanyagir tribe. And this account was recorded in 1926 by somebody named I.M. Suslov, or Suslov. Um, uh, and I know this that is one of those lame children's books, like, where the author, like, oh, man, I'm trying to think of some good examples. Like, where the author name is just some dumb thing that's related. Like, uh, Clive Staples. Clive St No, like, like, uh, uh, where to use the bathroom by like IP freely or something like that. <laughs> uh, and I feel like this guy's like, here's, here's my thing. What's my name? I am sus log. <laughs> sus love. Well, sus I was love. thinking it's Russian. So it's probably Igor Molotov sus love. Mm, that's pretty good. That's funny. But uh, yeah, so this is, this is a Chuchen Chechen story. Um, and it says, uh, this is this is their account. We had a hut by the river with my brother Chekarin. We were sleeping. Suddenly, we both woke up at the same time. Somebody had shoved us. We, were, we heard whistling and felt strong wind. Chekarin said, can you hear all those birds flying overhead? We were both in the hut, and I couldn't see what was going on outside. Suddenly, I got shoved again, this time so hard that I fell into the fire. And so I was scared. Uh, Chekarin got scared too. And so we started crying out for father, for mother, brother, but nobody answered. There was noise beyond the hut. 
that we could hear trees falling down. So Chekaran and I got out of our sleeping bags and we wanted to run out, but then the thunder struck. This was the first time we heard the thunder. The earth began to move and rock. The wind hit our hut and knocked it over. My body was pushed down by sticks, but my head was in the clear. And then I saw a wonder. Trees were falling. The branches were on fire. It became mighty bright. How can I say this? As if there was a second sun. My eyes were hurting. I even closed them. It was like what the Russians call lightning. And immediately there was a loud thunderclap. This was the second thunder. The morning was sunny. There were no clouds. Our sun was shining brightly as usual. And suddenly there came a second one. Chekarin and I had some difficulty getting out of under the remains of our hut. And then we saw that above, but in a different place, there was another flash. And loud thunder came. This was the third thunder strike. Wind came again, knocking us off our feet, and struck the fallen trees. We looked at the fallen trees, watched the treetops get snapped off, watched the fires. Suddenly, Chekarin yelled, Look up! and pointed with his hand. I looked there and saw another flash, and it made another thunder. But the noise was less than before. This was the fourth strike, like normal thunder. Now I remember well. There was also one more thunder strike, but it was small and somewhere far away, where the sun goes to sleep. So, That's a good account. Yeah. So this is the account of somebody who lives, like, basically by the blast. Yeah. Because the description is that the trees in the area where their hut was got blown down, that there was fire around them. Uh, it's kind of insane. So they live in or around. I'm sorry, I'm saying this out loud. The naked hole. No, they probably... So I don't actually know how big... Go on. Just kidding. Uh, we don't have to say that phrase anymore. I don't actually know how big the telegraph pole forest was. Like, I don't uh, know how big that portion was. Yeah. But they were probably on the edge of the 30-mile blast radius. Yeah. I, I would say they were probably on the edge of that. So uh, the that part of the sense. forest that's flattened, they'd probably be pretty close to there. Um, and so uh, we are going to have one more account from a tribe member later. But that one is part of one of the theories. So for now, gotcha. I think this one is just fascinating. Um, yeah. And, and so this account, in my mind, implies that there were uh, there are multiple explosions, which would kind of go along with the other accounts, that there was multiple things like cannon fire, artillery fire, rocks falling, things like that, um, and that they heard a lot of different thuds and booms, uh, and, and that the event lasted for a while. Yeah. So uh, the next few accounts are different accounts from newspapers uh, in the Russian area. So one of them real, is real quick, from... sorry. Oh, go ahead. Quick question. Did you feel the earthquake last night? I did not. I am much further away from yeah. that area. So Garrett texted me about it. He said it was 5.1. Yeah. I In the Tulsa are, area. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was I mean, we, we feel them every once in a while, right? Because of Oklahoma. Uh, but like last night, I was sitting and I, so I pretty much survived, survived my own Tunguska, Tunguska event, is what I'm saying. When last night I'm sitting in my living room and all of a sudden my house starts making weird creaking noises. And I'm like, what the heck is that? Is that an earthquake? And then it stopped. And then I found out in the morning that it was an earthquake. So I pretty you much survived it. my own Tunguska. Well, and then I was like, maybe it's the air conditioner. So I went and looked at the air conditioner. Everything was fine. But this morning when I saw the news, I was like, yes, genius. 
putting me in the Russian wilderness now. I was built to survive this stuff. Basically, actually. Um, yeah, I don't think I've... So I remember there was an earthquake when we were in college, I yeah. think. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I was at home that weekend or something. And I think it like knocked a book off of my bookshelf or something. Yeah. Um, but I am almost certain I slept through it. <laughs> so that's funny. So it's the first, it's the first earthquake that I've ever like not been woken up by because I've, I've experienced a couple others. And usually what happens is they wake me up and I'm just laying there half awake, half asleep. And I'm like, oh man, like, cause I, I grew up in a lot of trailers. And if you had a washing machine in a trailer and it was off balance, it could shake the whole house. Mm -hmm. And so I like would be laying there half awake, half asleep, like, oh man, that washing machine's really going. Like it's shaking the whole house. And then like, oh wait, I live I live in like a nice apartment now. What the heck? So that was in high school. And then in college, uh, there there's that earthquake and I'm just laying there asleep at Ozark. Like, man, someone's really filled that washing machine too far. Like, wait a second. It's an earthquake. So Okay. Yeah. Well, and I was, yeah, it's kind of cool that you bring that up. I was going to get there. It wasn't part of the script or anything, but the, mm. the one last night. Yeah. So for those of you listening, we're recording this on February 3rd. Mm -hmm. There was an earthquake in the Oklahoma area yesterday, last night, and southwest Missouri. I didn't feel it, but we also have uh, demolition going on all the time mm. here. So, like, we hear explosions and feel a little rumble almost every day. That's fair. Uh, Gage lives in a war zone. <laughs> I would say which one, but it feels insensitive to make jokes about that. Gage lives <laughs> in 1944 Poland. Yeah. Hey, so real quick, uh, you mentioned the 40s. Uh, yeah. What's what's something significant that happened in the 40s? Uh, like 1946 specifically. 46. Um. Is that is that when we dropped the old bomberoonies? Yeah, that's also supposedly when they were created. Let me let me let me try that one again. That without uh, minimizing this massive event that killed <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> is nope. Is that when we horrifically, tragically dropped the autumn autumn atom bombs of injustice? Yes. I cry every time I think about it. So, uh, yeah, so that was some 40 years almost after the yeah. Tunguska event, which is yeah. interesting because of some, one of the theories. But Yeah, no, I, I've got thoughts on this later when that. we get to it. Yeah, so I'm getting just a bit of my a bit ahead of myself there. Mm -hmm. But the next three accounts I'm going to read are from uh, just different Russian newspapers. The first two are a little bit longer. The last one's really short. So the first one is from uh, Sibir. Uh, which is a newspaper that came out July 2nd of 1908. Mm -hmm. It says, on the morning of 17th of June, around 9 o'clock, we observed an unusual natural occurrence. In the north Karolinsky village, the peasants saw to the northwest, rather high above the horizon, some strangely bright, in parentheses, impossible to look at, bluish-white heavenly body, which for 10 minutes moved downwards. The body appeared as a pipe. The sky was cloudless. Only a small dark cloud was observed in the general direction of the bright body. It was hot and dry. As the body neared the ground, forest, the bright body seemed to smudge and then turned into a giant billow of black smoke and a loud knocking, not thunder, was heard. 
as if large stones were falling or artillery was fired. All buildings shook. At the same time, the cloud began emitting flames of uncertain shapes. All villagers were stricken with panic and took to the streets. Women cried, thinking it was the end of the world. The author of these lines was meantime in the forest, about 6.4 kilometers north of Kirensk, and heard, the, heard to the northeast some kind of artillery barrage that repeated at intervals of 15 minutes at least 10 times. In Kirensk, in a few buildings and the walls facing northeast, window glass shook. The second account? I'm going to struggle with this name. Send it. Krasnoyarets newspaper, July oh, yeah. 13th of 1908. Yeah. Kazimoskoye village, on the 17th, an, an unusual atmospheric event was observed. At 7.43, the noise akin to a strong wind was heard. Immediately afterward, a horrific thump sounded, followed by an earthquake that literally shook the buildings as if they were hit by a large log or a heavy rock. The first thump was followed by a second, and then a third. Then the interval between the first and the third thumps was accompanied by an unusual underground rattle, similar to a railway upon which dozens of trains are traveling at the same time. Afterward, for five to six minutes, an exact likeness of artillery fire was heard. Fifty to sixty salvos in short, equal intervals, which got progressively weaker. After one and a half to two minutes after one of the barrages, six more thumps were heard like cannon fire, but individual, loud, and accompanied by tremors. The sky, at the first sight, appeared to be clear. There was no wind and no clouds. Upon closer inspection to the north, where most of the thumps were heard, a kind of an ashen cloud was seen near the horizon, which kept getting smaller and more transparent, and possibly by around 2 to 3 p.m. completely disappeared. And then lastly, Siberian Life newspaper, July 27th of 1908, so almost a whole month later. When the meteorite fell, strong tremors in the ground were observed, and near the love village of the Kansk Uezd, two strong explosions were heard, as if from large caliber artillery. Okay. So those are the accounts. The conventional explanation that was initially presented uh, and has been kind of generally accepted by most people is that uh and i got this explanation i'm quoting it mostly because it's a lot of like numbers yeah so this traditional explanation that i got from joel levy in a book called unsolved mysteries is that an asteroid of about 120 feet across weighing 615,000 tons traveling at about 33,500 miles an hour uh, entered Earth's atmosphere and then exploded under the pressure and heat of its own shockwave at a height of about 28,000 feet. The explosion was the equivalent to roughly 10 to 20 megatons of TNT, which is 2,000 times more powerful than the Hiroshima atomic bomb. Yeah. So the explanation is that either this, uh, this asteroid exploded, imploded, and burned up, yeah. uh, Due to the force of how it all happened, the explosion was so great that it caused this damage. Or some more recent scholars have suggested that it potentially hit Earth's atmosphere, caused the explosion, but then kind of like bounced off of the atmosphere and continued into space. Interesting. I was I was gonna I was getting ready to jokingly suggest that it it actually hit the Earth but bounced off without leaving a crater. Just 
boing. From in the distance, from the north, I heard two or three loud boings. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's the traditional story. Uh, so oh. this has been compared to the event, kind of like I mentioned earlier, on February 15th, 2013. Um, mm. The one that happened more recently in 2013 was roughly a 60th of the size mm-hmm. of the Tunguska event, and the explosion was potentially reported to be about 2% the power of the Tunguska explosion. And so the, the, the problem, though, is that the evidence from the 2013 explosion uh, with some of these estimations makes it kind of difficult to believe the initial conventional explanation yeah. uh, because there's, there's almost no way with those projected measurements that the asteroid would have just imploded and not left anything behind. Yeah. Um, or at least not, no craters of uh-huh. any kind, at least. Some kind of I- impact, some kind of evidence of impact, um, just purely due to the size that would have been necessary. So, yeah, that's why that that event that happened more recently actually more than clearing things up, kind of muddied the waters a little bit. So the final thing I want to go over is I've got the main theories. Wait. And uh, I'm going to link it in the episode description. I got a great little summary of each of these theories from historyrundown.com. I think it was .com. I'll correct it if it's not. But history yeah. rundown. Historyrundown.org. And so I will give some, like the the like just a broad stroke of the theory mm-hmm. itself, uh, some of the people who have proposed that theory, and then also some of the issues with each of the theories. So the first Love theory it. is the Lake Checo theory. Uh, this was in 2007. A group from uh, led by Luca Gasparini of the University of Bologna. Uh, claimed that they identified a lake in the Tunguska region called Lake Checo as the impact crater for a fragment of the meteorite. Interesting. Uh, It's not in the blast radius, but it was close enough that they kind of figured it could have been caused by it. Yeah. This is probably the most controversial of the theories. Yeah, I hate it. Because... There's not a lot of scientific evidence to back it up. They they took samples from the lake and found that the samples of the soil uh, show that the lake had existed for another hundred years, even before the Tunguska event, uh, at least. And I don't know how they determined that, but uh-huh. they're scientists, and I'm going to go ahead and trust that at least there they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I um, mean... It sounds like this is an event that happens about once every hundred years. So it was probably from the last one. Probably. And it's always Russia. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that. I was I was like, why is it always Russia? My only theory is that it, like, I mean, Russia comprises so much of the world's area. Oh, for sure. That well, and I think sense. that, like, it, it makes sense because it's one of the largest pieces of land. But yeah. also, like, the latitude and longitude potentially it's possible that other events like that happen but Uh they're over the oceans and so like nobody's there to know Uh uh-huh it could be picked up still by like modern systems i guess but 
I don't know. If it happens every 100 years, chances are, like, you know, it's just yeah. something that we didn't record before. Uh, but yeah, so that's one theory uh, that is generally believed to be not worth regarding. Uh, the other theory that is kind of based on the primary uh, story so far is that it was a cometary airburst. Um, there's a quote from Samuel Gregorian from 1976 that says mathematical models indicate that Tunguska event was actually caused by an explosion of a small comet and the core of the comet, because it is composed mostly of frozen gases, ice, and cosmic dust, uh, passing through the atmosphere would have rapidly heated, causing immediate evaporation and explosion. Uh, the, the released energy could correspond to the estimated 40 megatons. This theory uh, was first pushed in 1930, so very quickly after the initial discovery, by yeah. a British meteorologist named Francis Whipple. Okay, and now let's talk. <laughs> uh, you say meteorologist. Is yes. this a weatherman? Or is this like a guy that studies meteors? I could not find any credentials. I just found meteorologists. That's really funny. Like, hey, man, uh, I'm really positive that it had to have been a comet. Uh, and also it should rain tomorrow. So uh, be sure to keep keep track of that with your travel plans this weekend. Uh, <laughs> see you guys tomorrow. This is a very specific regional joke. Doug Hetty here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was a meteor. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> Man, that's really funny. I, I saw Doug Hetty. I've seen him in person a couple times. He would come into Chick-fil-A every once in a while. Uh, and then I was at the hospital one time that he was at the hospital. I was at the hospital together. He was like a local celebrity. Um, yeah. My We went home for the funeral this week, and my whole family was like, man, I miss having Doug Hetty as a weather person. I was like, that's mm -hmm. such a strange thing to say. Mm -hmm. But it yeah, kind we, of makes sense. We've got our people, man. I feel like Doug, we we all love and care about Doug. Um, we don't care about Dow Quick, who's like the chief anchorman. <laughs> Screw that guy. I feel like I've heard that he's a tool, too, though. So maybe that's it. I don't even know that name. Uh, but I do know yeah. Doug Eddy, so that that explains it all. Um, but yeah, so this theory was pushed by a Brita British meteorologist named Francis Whipple. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about that real quick, too. <laughs> uh, poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. Um, so this would explain the weird light phenomena, the luminous ph phenomena that people witnessed for a few days afterwards. But... This theory is believed to be improbable by most scientists because a comet of that size to cause an explosion that large, even if it were to implode because of the, the gases inside of it, it would still have to be too large to not leave any kind of evidence other than the explosion. Like gotcha. there would be something. Yeah. Um, and they also believe that in order to cause that kind of an explosion, um, a comet of that size in nature also would have caused more damage, mm -hmm. which that is insane I mean, to think sense. about. Yeah. Um, so this is where we start to get a little bit out there, okay? Well, I, so, real quick, I just want to say, get wrecked, meteorologist Francis Whipple. <laughs> so this next theory 
is that there was a collision with a miniature black hole okay. or otherwise right. a <laughs> okay. or, or otherwise a piece of antimatter. Sure. So uh, this theory was first suggested in 1941 by Lincoln La Paz. Uh, he argued that the Tunguska event was likely caused by the annihilation. Uh, which is a physical process where a subatomic particle collides with its respective antiparticle of the opposite charge. Um, and so he believes that it was the annihilation of a chunk of antimatter colliding with Earth. Uh, this theory would explain the visual phenomena. Uh, it would explain why there were no remnants of a comet or an asteroid. However, the main issue here is that the existence of such a large piece of antimatter has been deemed theoretically impossible. Now, yeah. what we know of antimatter anyways is so minimal. Um, so theoretically, the annihilation of said piece of antimatter also would have uh, taken place in the uppermost atmospheric levels. I don't know how they determine that, but according to theory, it wouldn't have happened on the surface of the Earth. Uh Another theory in this department was put forward by Albert A. Jackson and Michael P. Ryan in 1973. They argue that there was a miniature black hole that either formed near or collided with the Earth during the Tunguska event. However, according to this theory, the black hole would have either entered the Earth at Tunguska and would have had to have exited the Earth somewhere in the North Atlantic. Uh, yet there was no exit explosion reported that day uh, or at that time or anywhere around that time. Yeah. And e evidence of dust trails and high nickel concentrations also caused a lot of people to dismiss this hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, the larger scientific community has dismissed this theory overall. Uh, however, there are holdouts that still claim it. Our fourth theory is that it was an act of God. Mm. Revelation. So, this is where the second account of a tribe member actually comes in. So the second account is from a tribe member uh, from the Evenki tribe. Um, mm -hmm. And an Evenki woman named Akulina was 20 miles away from the epicenter. So just five miles away from the blast radius, probably. Um, and she reported to a scientist that a mighty wind flattened their tent uh, while she and her husband had been sleeping, and then there was a brilliant outburst of light that blinded them, and the wind that came through afterward was breaking trees as though they were just small sticks. And then a rising whirlwind lifted both of them off the ground, and she was knocked out. When she woke up, she looked for her husband and found him, who had also been lifted up by the blast, slammed into a tree 130 feet away from where they were previously. Shoot. And he later, according to this report, he later died from fractures, shock, and blood loss. Um, from from being blasted 130 feet into a tree. Yeah. Yeah. And so she also reported that the reindeer that they had, because they had their uh, reindeer that were with them, uh, were never found again. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the shamans of the Evenki tribe, uh, following the Tunguska event, who had lived the who had lived in this area for thousands of years, uh, said that the explosion was caused by Agda, Agda, which is their god of thunder, 
and they claimed that he was dissatisfied with the tribal disputes and he sent demons with shining eyes and fiery tails to punish the disobedient Evenki tribes people. Uh, reportedly, members of the tribe did end up declaring the area to be sacred and following the event, and there are reports that are scattered that in the following decades, they had even killed dozens of people trying to explore the land. Shoot. Uh, now, that is an account, and you kind of bring up the, the idea of revelation. I'm yeah. actually going to get into that a little bit more with the final theory, but mm -hmm. like, there's definitely the ability for somebody who's read the book of Revelation or who has like a, an idea of Christian eschatology to just be like, yeah, that sounds like a, that sounds like an Armageddon event. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of specifically, especially in these accounts. I'm thinking of Revelation 6, uh, when kind of all hell is breaking loose, the stars are falling, well, all heaven is breaking loose. Uh, something's breaking loose, and the stars are falling to the earth and all that, and people are running around trying to find safety. And, and the like secondary, the hidden meaning behind it is that they're like trying to find safety within their idols. Um, they're turning to their idols, like, protect me from this. But it says they're like hiding behind rocks, crouching behind rocks who can stand before the throne yeah so that's that's what specifically comes to mind i also don't tend to uh i don't know think of too many of the revelation things as being like like direct real life here's exactly what's going to happen you know two thousand years from today mm -hmm. um, so i'm mostly not being serious but there's some overlap is all i'm saying well i could see how people would look at that and say like come to that conclusion <clears throat> for sure yeah. So the next, the final theory is that it was a nuclear explosion. Mm. And this theory is grounded in the concept initially of aliens. Uh, so in 1945, there was a Russian author named Alexander Kazenshev who visited the, it should not be 45, it might be 46, whatever. He visited the ruins of Hiroshima following the devastation of the nuclear bomb. And yeah. when he was at the epicenter of the explosion, he noticed that the trees in the area were stripped of their leaves and branches, but were still standing. Six years after that, uh, he visited Tunguska and noticed similar patterns. No mm. crater and the trees in the epicenter are still standing with no branches or leaves. And so he came to the inclusion that the 19, he came to the conclusion that the 1908 event had been caused by a massive explosion of nuclear origin. And in 1956, he would publish a short novel titled "The Explosion," detailing his theory. Mm -hmm. Now, his theory goes a step further from just saying it's a nuclear explosion, and he argues that it was an extraterrestrial ship that exploded. And due to the materials and the power source and all of that, it was completely destroyed and it caused a nuclear explosion in the Russian wilderness um, as extraterrestrials were visiting Earth for some reason. Uh, now, the theory that the explosion is nuclear in origin is supported by the burn marks on the trees around the epicenter. So normally mm. when a meteorite causes a forest fire or something along those lines uh, it burns the trees surrounding it completely however the marks 
the burn marks on the trees were only on one side of the tree, uh, which indicates a concentrated, short, radiation-like heat, mm -hmm. which would be present in a nuclear explosion. Um, so this theory, I don't think it's the most likely, but kind of like with the Orang Madan, this is my favorite theory, uh -huh. uh, because... There are all kinds of ancient stories and accounts of nuclear weapons being used. They're not called that in those accounts, but there are stories of things like uh, the Iron Lightning Bolt, uh, which is apparently something that was written about in the ancient Near East that was a weapon that would have been dropped by some kind of a flying ship that was used to decimate opposing armies in battle. Uh, there's also some evidence found where certain scholars believe that they found Sodom and Gomorrah, and in the ruins, they found evidence of nuclear radiation, like what would be caught present in the uh, in, in in a place where a nuclear bomb had gone off. Yeah, but like thousands of years later. Yeah, thousands of years later, which is insane. Um, and, and there's also some scientific reason behind why they think that might make sense as to how Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt as well. I don't know that side of things, and I don't yeah. want to take too much more time on this, but that is a thing that some people yeah. uh, that some people believe. So I'm not saying that God dropped nukes on some ancient cities, and I don't necessarily believe that these are extraterrestrial in nature. Uh, but I think that this theory could be considered as just as valid as any of the others. Yeah. So I'm here uh, for yeah. it. that's the I mean, that's that's the story and the theories. It's also not crazy to think that like I, I mean we got the we got the nuclear bomb created because we imported a bunch of scientists. Like we imported a bunch of German scientists specifically. Um, we imported a bunch of scientists, and then we got we created the nuclear bomb. And so I think it's not the craziest thing to consider the possibility that there was some Russian experiment just happening out in the middle of nowhere. Like, 1908 feels a bit early for it, but I'm not saying it's impossible. Like, I don't think it's impossible. Oh, no, dude. Like, 5000 BC also sounds pretty early for it. That's true. That's funny. Uh, yeah. So that's... So is there is there anything else that, that you ought to share before we kind of throw a diaper on this one call it a day uh no that's the that's the tunguska event i mean i'm 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 not gonna like die on any hill in regards to it mm -hmm. uh but this is again just a really a really interesting unsolved mystery to me and it's yeah. one that like still remains unsolved in large part like there's there, there there's theories about what could have happened but we're really just not gonna ever know yeah. for sure until we can recreate it and honestly i don't think anyone should be trying to recreate it <laughs> yeah i'm intrigued enough though we'll see what happens yeah i feel like i wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years there's some youtube channel that's like we recreated a tunguska event so see what happens yourself and they just like go out in the woods and freaking launch a nuke <laughs> wouldn't be this super shocked uh, it's actually FPS Russia's comeback video. Mm, that's funny, man. Sweet. All right. Well, do you do you want to close this out, or do you want me to close this out? I'm gonna close this out. Yeah. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to uh, episode one, technically of the official Baby Archives, uh, where we talked about the Tunguska event. 
If you are on social media, follow us on Instagram or Twitter at NoCatsPod. You can check us out on any streaming service, I believe any of them. Uh, also check out our website where it's everythingbutthecats.com. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you listening and getting to this part in the episode. Uh, please go ahead and like share, follow, stuff like that as well. You know? Um, Tell you what, if you follow, if you if you subscribe or whatever you do to podcast download we'll tell you about the cats if you subscribe follow and personally approach both dj and i at the same time we will tell you about the cats absolutely we'll tell you about the cats uh yeah someone's gonna have to cause a funeral for a close friend of ours oh my goodness don't do that (laughs) or tell you what at gage's wedding yeah uh that is as of yet unscheduled. Ask us about the cats. Yeah. So, what was your timeline that I would have an eight-year-old by what year, or a four-year-old by what year? Ooh, I think it was a four-year-old in seven years. Seven years. Okay. So. So twenty thirty. Uh, yeah, seven years, twenty thirty. So let's say uh, if I have a four-year-old then, so let's say uh, two and a half years from now. So find us in twenty twenty-six. Yeah. Well. You're trying to get married before that, though. Uh, 2025. Find us in 2025 at Gage's wedding that, again, yeah. <laughs> is currently unscheduled. Uh, we'll let you know the details later. Yep. Pass it on. Anyways. Yes. <laughs> this is good. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.